When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inspire to Fire podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host. This show is all about inspiring you towards financial independence and early retirement. And part of financial independence is learning to invest, pay off debt, earn more income and taxes. And I thought this would be a perfect time to invite Sean Mullaney to the show. April 15th is right around the corner and Sean is a financial planner and certified public accountant who's here today to break down the Roth IRA and give us his take on why everybody should be using the Roth IRA or at least considering it towards financial independence. Now this episode is not tax investment or financial advice. This is a podcast meant to entertain None of what is said should be taken as financial advice. You can hire a professional, though. I really am excited to have him on because, again, we're going to be going into the different ways you can use a Roth IRA if you haven't already. And, again, perfect timing because you can actually open a Roth IRA and contribute to it up to April 15th, and that counts for your 2020 contribution. You can still take advantage of a Roth IRA contribution up until April 15th. So a little bit about Sean, like I mentioned, he's a financial planner, he's fiduciary, fee-only, and advice-only financial planning. He's a certified public accountant as well with a lot of experience in public accounting. He actually had a career change, so we are going to be discussing a little bit about that. Um, But what I love about what he does is he knows the tax code very well, but he knows how to apply it for financial independence and how it can benefit our community. So much so that he blogs about tax and financial independence over at phytaxguy.com, which I'll link in the show notes below. And you can also follow him at on Twitter as well, at Sean Money and Tax. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you guys. If you haven't subscribed yet, smash that subscribe button. We have new episodes every two weeks. We're going to have more guests like Sean. And this episode should hopefully save you a ton in taxes over the years, thousands to to tens of thousands, really. So again, we're going to be discussing the advantages of a Roth IRA and how to actually create an artificially low income to avoid taxes in the future in financial independence. It's something that I'm actually very much considering, if not probably going to be doing uh, in my financial independence journey, which I hope to share with you guys at a later time as well. And then lastly, Roth conversions, Roth conversion ladder. So we're going to be discussing a little bit about that. And you can find a lot of that also in the show notes below. But uh, stick to the end. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode and learn a lot. So take out a pen and paper if you're driving. Take some mental notes. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review once you're done. I really appreciate it. So without further ado, here is Sean Mullaney. Hey, Sean. Thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much, Chris, for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Of course, of course. I know that you like to discuss these financial topics and you have such a great background for it, being a CPA as well as a financial planner now. So we are going to discuss 
your career change, which I'm excited for in the show. However, I thought a good place to start might be talking about the Roth IRA and what are some major advantages to a Roth IRA, specifically for people in the FI community. So if we can start there and maybe just give us a background a little bit about the basics of the IRA and then a Roth IRA and then the major advantages. Absolutely, Chris. And Chris, let me just say that what I'm going to say on this podcast is not advice for any particular listener. It's about building up knowledge and building up education. And then you need to do your own research and consult with your own advisors as appropriate. Roth IRA is a great account. These accounts have been around since the year 1998. And what they allow you to do is to contribute. Right now, the limit is 6000 if you're under age 50. It's 7000 if you're age 50 or above to an account where it's for your retirement, at least theoretically. And you can contribute that amount every year as long as you have earned income of that amount. And there's no tax deduction, right? So the, you know, if, if I'm making, let's say, $100,000, I'm single, I put 6000 to a Roth IRA for the year 2020. Okay, great. No tax deduction. Doesn't change my 2020 tax return at all. Well, why did I put that $6,000 in a Roth IRA? The answer is tax-free growth, right? So let's say you're 25 years old, you made $100,000. That's a little high, but let's just say you made $100,000 and you put the $6,000 away. There's no real immediate tax benefit, but all the interest, dividends, capital gains, growth that occurs in that Roth IRA is tax-free. And as long as you withdraw the Roth IRA in the right way, it will never be taxable to you, which is really exciting. Um, I'll give you three tidbits about the Roth IRA that I think sometimes people miss. The first thing is a Roth IRA contribution, that 6,000 I mentioned, not the earnings, not the growth, but that 6,000 contribution every year, that can theoretically be withdrawn at any time for any reason, tax and penalty free, right? Your old Roth IRA contributions are always accessible to you tax and penalty free anytime you could be going to Vegas for the weekend. That said, generally speaking, don't do it. You want to keep the money in the Roth IRA as long as possible. But that unique feature of the Roth IRA has facilitated for some people a, a early retirement by conventional standards, which is fantastic, right? Second thing is a Roth IRA can be an emergency fund. Again, not optimal to have to use it. But in coronavirus times, I think we're learning having some provisions for emergencies is not the worst thing in the world. Because you can withdraw those old contributions, tax and penalty free at any time, if an emergency happens in your life and you don't have other accesses, access to funds, withdrawing from a Roth IRA could be a viable option for you. Again, let's try to keep that Roth IRA money growing tax and penalty free as long as possible, but it can be a great way to put uh, money aside for an emergency situation. And then the third thing is Roth IRAs are great to leave to your beneficiaries, to your kids, to your spouses, right? So at work, say you have a 401k plan or you have a traditional IRA, those things are going to be taxable when they're withdrawn. The nice thing about a Roth IRA, you leave that to a child, you leave that to a spouse, 
even to an elderly parent or to a sibling, that money comes out to them tax-free. So that's a really nice account to leave in the future. This is more thinking about the next generation and those sorts of things, but your heirs will be very happy to inherit a Roth IRA because they'll never pay tax on that Roth IRA. And I love how you pointed out those three major advantages. I agree with you. The tax-free growth is huge, especially when you think about compounding over the years, 20, 30, 40 years. Ease of access, especially with the pandemic and emergency situations that can occur unexpectedly, that is important. And of course, it's the last resort, but it's better to have that as opposed to not having a resort at all. And then the generational wealth aspect or leaving the money to your heirs, I think is an awesome advantage as well. Can you go into why exactly the Roth IRA would be the best or one of the advantages of the Roth IRA would be that uh, leaving it to the heirs benefit? What, what makes it special in that sense? Yeah, a couple points on that. One is investment horizon, meaning we have listeners say today who are say 30 years old, those are the type of people who should be thinking about investing for the next 55 or 60 years of their own lives, forgetting their children or anything like that. So you talked about that tax-free growth. Well, 55 years of tax-free growth could be very impactful, right? <laughs> yep. In your own life. In terms of inheriting accounts, and this is a big issue in the FI community, I think this has not gotten enough attention, is we're about to have a huge generational shift as the you know greatest generation and as the baby boomers pass away they're going to leave large inherited iras to the gen y gen x gen z millennials and folks aren't going to know what to do congress recently this is at the end of 2019 passed something called the secure act and they basically said for many beneficiaries you're going to have to empty those retirement accounts roth ira and traditional ira in 10 years after the death of the person who died. So let's say your parents, right? Let's say you're 30, 35 years old. Your parents are in their 60s. They're of modest means, but they did pretty good, right? Through workplace 401k, they saved up a million dollars. They rolled that into a traditional IRA. And then they pass on years from now. And that's, let's just say it's worth $800,000. And you're the adult child. You inherit that traditional IRA you're now going to have to, over 10 years, take out $800,000 or let's just say roughly $80,000 a year in taxable income, okay? That's going to do some bad things to your marginal tax rates for both federal and state tax purposes, right? So that $800,000 is going to put you into a higher tax bracket in all likelihood, not guaranteed, but in many cases, that'll be true. And who knows what tax rates will be in the future. So there's this sort of ticking time bomb out there of inheriting large traditional IRAs, where in 10 years, you're going to have to do planning and take out large sums of money and really impact your tax return in a negative way. Well, let's say instead of an $800,000 traditional IRA, your, adult, your elderly parents leave you a $800,000 Roth IRA. Very different equation. Do you have to take it out in 10 years? Absolutely. Okay. You can take it out anytime tax-free. Generally speaking, financial planners like myself will say, well, if you can wait and let it grow 10 more years tax-free, take it out, you know, let it 
don't take it out, let it grow tax-free for 10 more years. So maybe in 10 years, instead of $800,000, it'll be worth 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 million, 1.7 million, 1.8 million. And at that point, you have to take it out. It's tax-free. You know, so yes, you don't get the tax-free growth anymore, but now the money is yours tax-free and now it'll grow and it'll kick off some taxes. But that's a much better outcome than having to jack up your annual taxable income by $80,000 or more. So th that's a big advantage of the Roth IRA, for, especially for those thinking about second generation financial independence is the tax burden on your beneficiaries, your kids, when they inherit a traditional IRA, much, much worse when they inherit than inheriting a Roth IRA. I'm so happy that we got into that part because the $800,000 example is not the same whether that $800,000 is in an IRA or if it's in a Roth. That $800,000, especially if you don't have control on when you're taking it out, can become a lot smaller of a number. Uh, depending on the tax bracket and tax rates at uh, whenever that is. But uh, that's a very important part to anybody wanting to create generational wealth. And I speak to the audience a lot and they, they tell me that that's something that most of them are interested in, especially knowing the small amounts of money that they would have to invest now in order for 50 years down the road, you know, with compound that can actually change their family's uh, wealth inheritance and, and their children's children's lives. I also wanted to ask about required minimum distributions, I guess, while the person yes. is still alive. We in the FI community, I myself too, really love 401ks and HSAs, and I do value that tax break up front. But I do sometimes worry that my asset allocation or, or the portfolio that I have would be heavily 401k. And what will happen when I hit that magical age of 70 years old? So can you talk to me about, is there a risk in that sense? Chris, there absolutely is a risk in that sense. And Congress just changed the rules. This is December, 2019. It's called the SECURE Act. So it used to be that you had to start taking required minimum distributions out of your own retirement account at age 70 and a half. Now the rule is age 72. So all the retirement accounts other than the HSA and the Roth IRA at age 72, your own retirement account has to start coming out. Okay. So that could be somewhat corrosive, right? Cause you might be sitting on a large traditional IRA, traditional 401k. It's got a lot of money in it. What they do is they have this table and it says, based on your remaining expected age expectancy, you're going to have to take out a certain amount. So at age 72, it's, I don't know, I haven't looked at the table recently, but I think it's in the neighborhood of maybe 4% you have to take out and it goes up every year. Okay. And another thing to think about is it goes up every year. And then what if you're married? Okay. So you're in your seventies, you're married and you you're filing married filing joint. So you have better tax rate brackets. Okay. In the 80s and the 90s, one of the spouses, in all likelihood, is eventually going to pass away. And the surviving spouse will now be paying taxes as a single taxpayer. But the retirement accounts are the same, right? They just stayed with the surviving spouse. And now these higher required minimum distributions are hitting a single tax return as opposed to a married filing joint return. So these RMDs are a, they're definitely a challenge. And so how do you plan around that, right? 
Well, one way is to take advantage of Roth IRAs today, right? If you can contribute to a Roth IRA, that's a great way because Roth IRAs are not subject to the RMD rules, okay? So you never have to take an RMD out of your own Roth IRA. And then another way, this is particularly prominent in the FI community, is if you truly are able to early retire and have enough for your early retirement, what you might be doing is essentially setting up these years before age 70 when you have to collect Social Security where your taxable income is going to look artificially low because you're holding wealth in your primary residence. That doesn't generate taxable income. In retirement accounts, that doesn't generate taxable income. And in some taxable brokerage accounts, that in today's low yield world does not generate very much taxable income at all. So you essentially have an artificially low taxable income every year between retirement early and age 70. And so what you could do is slowly convert your old traditional accounts into Roth accounts, which has two advantages, right? One is a tax rate arbitrage, right? You put the money in the taxable accounts at a high tax rate when you were working and subject to a lot of taxes. Then you convert it to a Roth and re-include it in taxable income at a much lower federal tax rate, okay? So that's one benefit. And then the second benefit is it gets rid of these or it doesn't necessarily get rid of RMDs, but it certainly reduces them, right? If you have like a $2 million traditional 401k that you whittle down over you know, 10, 15 years into a Roth IRA, maybe at the end of that, it's only worth say 400,000 and the rest is in the Roth, your RMDs are gonna be much, much lower and impact your tax rate. You, know, you're, you go through these bre- the progressive tax brackets, you'll go through them at a slower clip and hopefully the tax on the remaining RMDs will be much lower. Right, and, and thank you for breaking that down. I think that's incredibly important and something that's sometimes overlooked in the FI community, especially when we're uh, projecting our FI number and our future down the road in 10, 20 years, and, and we just land on one number, uh, let's say $1 million, but we don't know where that $1 million is going to be, how much of it is going to be in 401k, how much of it is going to be in the Roth, et cetera. Yeah, Chris, you don't want to be that person who I'm in my mid fifties. I want to retire. And what do you own? I own 1.5 million in my traditional 401k and $20,000 in cash and my house. And that's it, right? That's a challenging position to be in. There there are things you can do, right? It's not the worst position to be in. Um, I'll say this. I'm not telling any particular listener do Roth or do don't do Roth, you know, or don't do traditional or do traditional, but I've yet to find the, the potential client or client who, wow, you have too much in a Roth IRA. <laughs> that has never come up. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, one thing that don't fear having too much in a Roth IRA, it's probably your future self is not going to be upset with you because you picked Roth and now you have too much in tax-free accounts, right? <laughs> Your future self is not going to break out a net present value calculator and think about the tax that you paid instead of doing traditional. doesn't mean you shouldn't do traditional. Traditional, especially in the FI community, has a very significant role to play. Don't get me wrong, but getting money into Roths is something most people will never regret. I like that. I like that a lot. I've never heard those words either. And no regret over how much money is in a Roth, I think. Um, there's, there's never, there's never been a situation like that. And that brings me to my next question, which is, uh, for high income earners nowadays, knowing that taxes look fairly low in comparison to, uh, historical ranges 
And assuming that taxes will go up in the future, but we really don't know, does it make sense for a high income earner who qualifies for a Roth, maybe like you said, $100,000 a year income uh, for a single earner? Uh, would that still make sense for, for somebody to uh, use a Roth or they should take that tax break today? What, what do you think about that? So Chris, I'm going to divide your question into an A and a B, right? The A is the workplace retirement plan, the 401k. Okay. And there, there's a, a division between FI and non-FI. If you're telling me your person is 30 years old and making $100,000, and is planning on working the next 30 or 40 years till age 70 or 65, I might, depending on the circumstances, actually say Roth 401k work. The reason is we're not going to have that golden window of doing Roth conversions in that case, or it's going to be a very limited Roth, uh, convert, conversion window. So why not take the advantage of the Roth at work today? Right? Because like you said, Chris, we're in historically low tax brackets. So if, if you think you're going to be working for a very long time, the Roth today, just buy into today's tax rates, get all the future growth out of taxation, often it's the right case. But what if that 30-year-old is in the FI community and really is going to retire in their 40s, okay? And again, you got to be honest with yourself. Are you really going to retire in your 40s? I think there are plenty of people in the FI community who won't, and that's perfectly fine, Right. Because uh, sometimes when we talk podcasts and blogs, I think sometimes the extreme examples sort of get highlighted and that's fine, right? But, you know, if you are one of those extreme examples, then maybe traditional at work is absolutely the way to go, right? Because you get the deduction now and you're, you're seeing a future where you're going to have 20 years of very low tax rates because you're, you know, you're not working, your taxable income's low. At work, in those cases, traditional is really the way to go. Like, do not do a Roth 401k in that case. Do the traditional. All right. That's, that's the A part of the question. What about the B part, which is this whole traditional IRA versus Roth IRA, right? This is only slightly impacted by your workplace retirement plan, right? Your personal IRA is not your workplace 401k or 403b, right? So they're totally separate for the most part. What you could do, you're a $100,000 income earner, you qualify for a Roth IRA, you qualify to do a traditional IRA, but almost certainly you don't qualify to deduct it in most cases, not all cases, right? There are some cases where you would qualify. If you're married at 100,000, you actually still qualify to deduct. But in a lot of cases today, what I see with clients is they qualify for a Roth IRA, but they don't qualify to deduct a traditional IRA. So at that point, it's like, why would you contribute to a traditional IRA where, all right, I'm going to contribute to a traditional IRA, but I don't get to deduct it. And I qualify to contribute to a regular Roth IRA. In that case, why not do a Roth IRA instead, right? And, and just get the benefit of the tax-free growth. And I think in, in, you know, as a practical matter, what I see with a lot of clients, especially those really going for FI, is what makes the most sense is if you can is max out the traditional IRA, uh, traditional 401k at work, take the deduction for the 19,500 at work, and then do a $6,000 Roth IRA contribution. So you're getting a little bit of both worlds. You're setting up that emergency valve. You're setting up those $6,000 in Roth contributions, but you're also taking advantage of the tax rate arbitrage because you're going to retire early. 
We'll be right back to the show. But with all this talk about investing, I did want to share a special promotion that M1 Finance is running right now, where if you open a new account with them and fund your first $100 into that account, they will give you a free $30, which is a 30% return on investment right there. And again, this show is all about getting started with investing. And so I thought this was perfect timing. I think you guys should definitely take advantage of this promotion while it lasts. There is a link in the description below for you to take advantage of that. Again, you get $30 for free when you open a new account with M1 Finance. And I think M1 Finance is fantastic. I have an account with them as well. It's actually the account that I'm going to be funding the bright future for my son, uh, who's six months right now. So by you opening an account and uh, funding $100, you will get a free $30. And my son will also get $30 that over 18 years will hopefully compound to quite a bit. So thank you if you do. And I hope that it helps on your journey towards financial independence. And now back to the show. That was perfectly well put and the fact that you split it up into two sections like that was amazing because you're right there's so much more that goes into it that's why personal finance is personal and your 10 20 30 year plan has to be part of what you're doing today and um, I love that you mentioned that if you're fi might make sense for you to put it in the 401k take the advantage today because as you mentioned earlier you could take advantage of artificially low tax brackets later on when you do yes. become fine. So that was important and, and perfectly explained. That's why you're a professional in this field. So I do want to mention COVID in this regard, because I think that COVID has changed your thoughts on the Roth IRA. For better or for worse, I'm not sure. I would rather hear you tell me. Absolutely, Chris. COVID has made me appreciate the Roth IRA even more. And it goes back to that emergency situation, meaning, like I said, you don't want to use your Roth IRA for an emergency, but boy, it's nice to have out there if you can, right? If you come into an emergency, you're in your early 40s, say, and a new pandemic hits, and you've got a million dollars in a traditional 401k, and that's it, right? No Roth IRA, you actually might be in a rough spot. Because one, your employer might not allow an in-service distribution from that 401k. They don't have to. But two, even if they do, that distribution is going to be subject to income tax and likely a 10% penalty. Not always, but likely. So, you know, that's the situation with the, the workplace 401k in an emergency. Well, what about your Roth IRA? Like I said, accessible at any time, your old contributions, tax and penalty free. So, you know, I, I think Corona gives us another reason to really love the Roth IRA, in addition to the primary ones, which are the, the tax-free growth, no required minimum distributions. Um, yeah, I think the Roth IRA is just such a, a fantastic account, and it's just one more reason to love it. Yep, and you wrote an article or a blog post uh, titled Ode to the Roth IRA, and that was fantastic. Um, you also had a quote, I believe it was in that post, but it could have been from somewhere else. But it said, quoting you here, every American working adult should ask whether they should have a Roth IRA. And if they do not have one, they should ask, why is that? All working adults should strongly consider a Roth IRA contribution, a backdoor Roth IRA, and or a Roth conversion in 2020. 
100% Chris. Yeah, I'll agree with myself. But that's right. <laughs> sometimes it's, you know, I think sometimes in the fight community, we overemphasize the tactics and underemphasize the strategy and the questions, right? It's not necessarily like, oh, I need to implement this tactic and that tactic. It's what are the questions I need to be asking myself about my financial future, right? And, you know, if you can't do every tactic under the sun, it's not the end of the world, right? There are going to be people who get to FI without Roth IRAs. I think increasingly it's just going to be this thing is so popular for good reason that that's going to be an unlikely fact pattern. But, you know, look at the Roth IRA, strongly consider it, ask yourself the question as to whether you have it or don't have it and why you have it or don't have it and proceed from there. And so now that we talk about some underemphasized aspects of financial planning in the FI community, the Roth uh, you mentioned would be one of them, but uh, what else do you think might be underemphasized or something that uh, you would like to hear more from in the FI community, something that would benefit us, but isn't really talked about? Yeah. One thing I would mention is something that really applies if you have young children and the question you should be asking yourself is, what happens to my house if me and my spouse both die, right? Um, houses are tricky things. And your kids need to be protected in the event that you both were to pass away, right? And just having a will is often not good enough for a house, right? There are some very basic planning techniques that can occur that you could do now while you're healthy, just to make sure your kids are covered. The big one I like to think about, and this is something you should consult with a lawyer about in your locality, right? I myself am not a lawyer, but this is a, a tactic from a financial strategy perspective I often recommend. It's called a revocable living trust. So the idea is work with a lawyer, he or she drafts up this document called a trust, and then helps you uh, transfer the deed to your house to this thing called a revocable living trust. It's like a nothing event, right? It doesn't create a taxable gift or taxable income. It doesn't change your home mortgage interest deduction if you're claiming that. Um, and it's fully revocable, right? You and your wife, you and your husband could wake up the next morning and say, we don't like this, revoke the trust, right? Um, but what it does is it sets your children up for success and their guardians up for success in the event you were to die right? So if you were to both die, the trust becomes irrevocable and it's governed by the terms you provided to your lawyer um, when you were living. And it's there now it's set up to support either, you know, you rent it out for the benefit of your surviving children and the guardian or the surviving children and the guardian or guardians get to live in it for the rest of their childhood. You know, I'm not here to tell you what the right resolution is, Right. But I'm here to tell you, you should ask a very fundamental question, play a little financial defense here. What happens to my house upon my death? And if you don't have a will and a trust, I think you're going to find that your children and the guardians would be in some some, you know, they'd have to use the court system. And that's timely and expensive and just not a good it just it's got full, a ton of friction. Right. You want your minor children and their guardian, if you were to die, you want them taken care of and a revocable living trust working with a lawyer is a great way to help do that. And that's a great point. That's actually something that I was talking about with a family member just recently who's a CPA. And she mentioned the fact that after 
someone passes and it's a difficult conversation to have a lot of people actually don't have or plan because they don't want to even talk or think about that situation but i think it's important to at least set your future uh, you know generations up for success in that sense so yeah the example was uh, you pass away the money goes to your spouse as you mentioned then the money that they get maybe your spouse remarries we never know what happens after but that spouse, your your spouse, passes, and the money then passes to her second husband. Would that be a scenario that's even likely or possible? So, Chris, there's absolutely planning that can be done for um, situations where you want to make sure your children are provided for, right? To my mind, yeah, this is a little second level, right? But, uh, and in fact, what I generally say in most FI situations, when you have a husband and wife situation, generally speaking, things like beneficiary designation forms or payable on death forms, beneficiary designation forms are for like IRAs, 401ks, those sorts of things. Payable on death forms tend to be for your financial assets, your bank accounts, savings accounts, brokerage accounts. Um, generally, in most cases, simplicity is is my favorite um, objective there. So I would generally advise in most younger FI couples, hey, why don't you fill out that form and leave as the primary beneficiary each other, right? To minimize friction upon the event of one person's death. Okay. Um, but then what about, you know, a secondary beneficiary? That could be a revocable living trust. That would help, um, you know, that would help your children out. There are different things. You need to work with a, a qualified lawyer on that. There can be some complexities, but it also could be a little challenging for a three-year-old to inherit. In terms of, yeah, these issues around strategy, around, well, what if my spouse remarries? It's a consideration. I think it, it's not much of a consideration when the assets are modest, right? But then, you know, if, if you are later in life, it could be that you want to do some planning with you know, a lawyer versed in estate planning around setting up some sort of inheritance, either for charity, your adult children, your minor children. There, there certainly could be some strategies there. I don't think it's as impactful, though, you know, if you've you're got a couple that's going for five, they're 28 years old, they each have like $100,000 in a retirement account. That's not the time. That's more the time to play the defense make sure any children are provided for, make, things, make sure things are relatively simple in the event of an untimely death, and then go from there. I like that. Thank you. And it's true. It's uh, a lot of us in the FI community are, are DIY type of people. And, uh, but a lot of this is difficult. And you know that scenario was just a nightmare scenario that we were discussing. And uh, I, meant, I figured, man, there's, there's a lot of other scenarios. I've heard nursing homes where, God forbid, you know, that ends up being a case. But uh, I think what you said was great was, you know, consult a tax professional or just a professional like a lawyer, someone in that sense, because sometimes, you know, we are very good at DIY, but sometimes it's best to just take this to a professional. Well, yeah. And I will say, if you've got minor children, okay, if you own a home and you have minor children, I strongly recommend working with a lawyer to draft a will and a trust. The will is important for many reasons. The primary one to my mind is naming the guardian. You want that done right and done right according to the laws of your home state. And then the revocable living trust is important for assets like a house, maybe like a retirement plan. And I, I think 
drafting legal documents is not the place to be doing DIY. That's my own personal take. Your mileage may vary, but that is certainly my take. Wills and trusts are not best done DIY. I, I couldn't agree more with that. So switching gears a little bit, I did want to talk about your career change uh, that you've had. And uh, so just a little bit of background, you went from a stable big four accounting firm to your own business in financial planning. Um, I'd love to hear your transition and what challenges might have gone alongside that. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, I, I was a career employee, right? I was an employee other than law school. Um, I actually was a corporate tax lawyer for a little while and then ultimately changed into be, being a financial planner. And so I no longer practice law. Um, you know, I worked in the big four accounting world, great opportunities. It was a really good experience that I had, but I always had that itch in the back of my mind to move away from like corporate work, more towards personal financial planning work. And I will say, you know, when you're in that mentality of I've got a career I'm making good money. I'm successful in that. Um, and then the other thing is too, everyone around you at work is looking to stay at work, right? Mm -hmm. So, and we all have built-in biases against making changes. And we also have built-in sort of fear mechanisms, right? Around changes, right? Change was a tough thing for our ancestors, right? Or if our ancestors found a good place to live where there's plentiful food supplies, they did not want to change it, Right. And, you know, change, we have anxiety to tell us like, hey, you better be alert because change is coming and change is often not good. So when you're in those situations where you're thinking about a life change, especially professionally, understand that there are going to be a lot of institutional things that are built up around you where everybody else, their bias is to staying in the employment world and staying in, in the path that they are all currently on. So that's what, you know, you're going to see every day. And of course, you're going to have natural like, hey, wait a minute, why am I doing this? I've got a good paycheck. Um, so just be aware that an, a certain amount of anxiety, I certainly had some, is going to be natural with any life transition, especially a big one like changing your job and going from employee to self-employed, right? I have uh, my one man uh, financial planning firm right now. And so, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm on my own, which is a very different environment. It's been very good for me. Um, but I will say getting there did have some anxiety. I will also say the five perspective very much helped me because I built up a fairly good, you know, nest egg of wealth. Whereas like, look, I don't need to earn a paycheck in the next few months here, right? I've got some cushion here to take my time and set up my firm and, you know, essentially be out of work for a little bit. And then, of course, a loving and supporting spouse, a supportive spouse never hurt, right? My wife, Catherine, has been tremendous through this. And full disclosure, right, she herself has a W-2 job, right? So it's not like we had no income. And in fact, Chris, just to layer on one other thing, is I got married during this transition, <laughs> right? So I left my W-2 job in June of 2018, got married in August of 2018, and started the steps in the fall of 2018 to set up my firm, right? So a lot of transition together, the five perspective helps that because if you've got assets to fall back on, it lessens the tensions around doing a major uh, professional change. 
Yeah, and I like that. So you said that you found Phi uh, before you decided you wanted to change careers. Is that right? That's right. So we were talking before the, the podcast here, and I was saying, you know, I've been interested in personal finance for well over 20 years, right? I read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, while I was in college in the late 90s. And I always, to varying degrees, had a little bit of that itch, like, oh, I should go into personal finance. But, you know, you separately, you have a career and you sort of progress through that career. Um, when I found Phi, which was really in, I'd say, winter, spring of 2017, what it did was it said, okay, you have all these shiny objects in personal finance and they're great. What Phi did for me was it built the house, right? So personal finance without Phi for me is like you go to a construction site and they've got a lot of drywall and wood and pipes and granite countertops you know, and sinks. They've got a pile, different piles of all that. And that's great. Phi says, let's have a completed house. Let's have a goal. Let's take these shiny objects and do some cool stuff with them for a much bigger goal. Right. Um, and, and that's what I've really loved about Phi is that professionally it's given me an organizing principle to say, okay, we've got these shiny objects. They're important, but there's something much, much more important. And that's getting people to a path where they can be reasonably financially independent. And, and I love the one of the articles that you also mentioned or posted on your blog had some COVID lessons that you learned. And one that jumped out at me was when you said jobs are important, but regardless of whether you love your job or hate it, you need the ability to survive without it. And that's what FI is. It's the ability to support yourself without that job. Um, and I love that you were able to implement that into your life. And like you said, there were things that made it easier, your wife having a stable income and you having that knowledge of what you needed to do to support that transition. What are your plans for the future now that you've transitioned? Yeah. So right now, Chris, my plan is to keep growing my firm. Um, you know, I don't have any sort of specific financial, here's my retirement date. Um, I'm working with my wife right now on the family building side, right? So right now, frankly, the personal side's a little more important. And I think that that's rightly ordered, right? Like building our family is more important to me than, okay, five years, my firm's going to be here or 10 years, my firm's going to be there. Um, so right now it's, let's keep building up savings. Some of it, fortunately, tax advantage savings. Let's build our family and sort of reassess, right? And I think a lot of the professional is going to follow the personal, right? Meaning, you know, let's see what our family looks like in three, four years. And that might dictate, hey, maybe we move somewhere, right? Or maybe we stay here. Maybe we work longer hours. Maybe we work shorter hours, right? Um, so in my case, I don't have any fully definitive professional plans other than continuing to practice financial planning, um, very much focused on financial independence and tax optimization and those good things. But that is going to be largely driven by the personal side in my and my wife Catherine's life. That's amazing. And that's what FI affords you that, you know, that luxury or that ability to make decisions based off of what's right for you in your personal side, instead of 
what is right for your boss or what, you know, needs to happen in order to pay the bills. So I love that. And that's a great way to kind of summarize. I would like to just ask you one more question, just in case anybody's out there who is trying to have a career change, but might be having difficulty. uh, What, what would you say to that person? If they know that they're not doing what they love, they may want to do something else, but they're just struggling to change. What, what would you think is the best advice? So I would say a couple of things. One is save your money, save and invest, build wealth. That will certainly help. It cannot hurt. Two is remember Rome was not built in a day, right? I myself took quite some time with my career shift. And one option, I actually employed this. Um, I worked part-time at my old big four firm and they were very gracious in allowing that. Um, and it helped. I got some training while I was you know, working part-time to make this career shift, right? So think about, you know, half measures like working part-time might help facilitate a career change, not in all cases, but in some cases that could be uh, available. Build up your wealth and then just understand that just because you're anxious about a potential career change does not make it the wrong decision, right? An impactful decision should on some level provoke some anxiety, or at least that's my take uh, I am not a psychologist, right? Do not rely on me for any sort of uh, psychology advice, but that's my perspective on it. Um, so do not be totally dismayed by having some anxiety around the decision. That's a great perspective and for, from someone who's been through it. So I think that's a great uh, point. And lastly, I want to thank you again, Sean, for coming on the show. And I want to give you the Uh, opportunity to let everybody know where they can find more of you. Absolutely. Chris, thanks so much. It's been a real joy to speak with you today. If you're looking for me, you can find me at my financial planning firm. That's MulaneyFinancial.com. Or you can find me on my blog, FitaxGuy.com. FitaxGuy is for the intersection of tax and financial independence. Often I try to post once a month, but sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, depends on sort of current tax developments and my busyness. Um, But yeah, those are the two places, MulaneyFinancial.com and FitaxGuy.com, where you can find me. Great. And I know I have that saved as a bookmark on my uh, web browser. So I'm frequently on there reading up-to-date tax information because it applies specifically to FI. So that's what I love. Um, Well, thank you again, Sean. And I hope to see you again on the show. Thanks so much, Chris. Would love to come back anytime. All right. You guys made it to the end of the episode, and I hope you guys found value in this episode. Don't forget that you guys can still do a Roth contribution for the year 2020 up until April 15th. If you're unsure, then definitely speak to a professional about that. But again, if you found value in the show and you want to help the show in any way, you can subscribe, you can leave a review, you can share the episode with a friend. You can also support me on Patreon. I have a link in the show notes below. You get a shout out if you do that, which again, I really appreciate any support that I get from you guys. And lastly, I also do want to recommend the Financial Gym one more time to you guys. I do believe in their product for right now. I am not doing any money coaching. That may change in the future. So until then, I will recommend the Financial Gym. They're a New York-based company that really gets you started towards your path to financial independence. You can set up a free phone call with them using the link in the show notes below. And you also get 15% off if you use the code 15FIREPOD. All right, guys. Thank you for joining the show. Until next time.